Welcome to the City on a Hill Church Brighton podcast. We exist to help people love, trust, and follow Jesus in everyday life. We're glad you're here, and thanks for listening. More information on the life and mission of City on a Hill Church can be found at coabrighton.org. That's C-O-A-H brighton.org. Morning, church. It's good to see you. Uh, if I've not met you, my name is Aaron. I get the great privilege of uh, being a pastor here. And if you're new, uh, we've been in a teaching series in the book of Genesis. And what we like to do at our church is go chapter by chapter through God's Word uh, to see what He has to say on whatever we're studying this uh, that week. And so we've been in this sort of micro series in Genesis, looking at the life and faith of Abram and his wife Sarai. And so we've been learning from them um, about God's promise uh, of a future son through them. And then through that line would come Jesus, the Messiah. And so we've been learning, though, that they've been really struggling to trust. And there's been a pain point in their heart. They're a lot older. They're uh, aging towards 100 years old, and they still haven't had this promised son. And I was thinking about this uh, and this past week, uh, my family and I, we actually celebrated Valentine's Day a little bit early just because of our kids' school schedule and falling on Tuesday, and that's a really long day for our family. And so on uh, this past Thursday, I took my family out to Cheesecake Factory and gave them desserts, and then we went to a trampoline park. Well, fortunately, at the trampoline park, we're jumping along, and yes, I'm in my socks too, and I'm jumping around with my kids. I'm the only one above 15 jumping on this trampoline park, and I'm near Kiana, and Kiana's jumping, and she's jumping from trampoline to trampoline, but she trips over sort of a middle part, and she falls on her foot, and she breaks her foot. I'm a pretty bummer. She's got a little boot on, so you'll see her trying to hobble around. Um, but in that moment, uh, I knew that something wasn't right. I didn't hear a snap, but I just, the way she kind of yelped and she's like, daddy, help. I, I can't move my foot. I can't stand up. And I'm like, okay, let me come over to you and let me help you. And she's like, daddy, no, don't, don't touch me. I'm, I'm hurt. And I'm like, baby, the only way I can help you is if I come near you. And that's what she was afraid of, of me coming too close because it would hurt her. I was like, baby, you got to trust me. I'm going to pick you up. Let my arms be a comfort to you and let me carry you over. We got her some ice. We took her to a doctor. We got a little boot. We've got a follow-up appointment this week. But what's interesting about that story, and she was eventually okay, and you'll see her today. She's running around like a bad, crazy person but she's got because she got the boot on. But what reminded me of this story today and Kiana's story is that she had the same fear that Abram and Sarai did. Hey, God, I don't want you to come close anymore because I struggle to trust your promise. And I don't want you to touch this pain area of my life any longer. You keep telling me that a kid's coming, that a promised Messiah would come through our line, but we have no kids. And they're really struggling in this moment with this pain point in their life. They can't have kids, but God promised they would. And so every time that God comes close, you see God remind them of a promise and you see them struggle with it over and over again. And so what we're seeing is that God is faithful even when we're faithless. And this week we see God yet again reinstitute this word called a Covenant. Can you just say that out loud? Say covenant. That is the entire point of today's passage is God's covenant love with Abram and Sarai. And so God comes close to them in this pain moment like Kiana and God does three things. He gives them a covenant calling, a covenant promise and a covenant sign. And that's where we pick up in the text this week. Let's start in verse one. And we're going to navigate through this passage in sort of three movements, those three movements of God's covenant calling, God's covenant promise, God's covenant sign. So here's where it starts out in verse one. 
When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. Now, in this very moment, uh, is taking place 13 years after the sinful episode that we covered last week with Sarai, Abram, and Hagar. Do you guys remember that? That's where we're picking up. It's, it's 13 years after Sarah and Abram come up with this plan to take this servant girl and have a child through her that maybe could be this promised Messiah. It's a sinful situation. It was awful. And it's 13 years after that occasion. And so now Abram is 99 years old. And as you can imagine, he's basically given up any hope that God would fulfill his promise that he and his wife would have a biological child. In fact, guys, what's so hard about this, it's actually 23 years later since God actually gave the first promise of a child that we saw in chapter 12. It's 23 years later of asking God in prayer and praying and hoping and God coming to give a promise and then them not seeing the fulfillment of it over and over again. So they're discouraged. They're struggling. Imagine where you would be. Maybe you feel like that today where God has given you a promise in scripture and you're struggling to believe it. Maybe that it's that God loves you or that he has a plan for your future or that he's gonna be good to you and you're struggling right now to believe that. That's where we find Abram and Sarai. Since God came to them 23 years ago, they have been struggling with doubt and fear and wondering if God really even loves them. Will God fulfill his promise to them? And they're struggling here. In fact, they've struggled with all sorts of issues because of their trust challenge. In fact, we see Abram, uh, he lied, he manipulated others, and he even gave over his wife to another man in Egypt because he didn't trust God and he protected his life rather than his wife's life. Sarai struggled as well. She bought a slave girl named Hagar, which was sinful, and in the feeble attempt to bring herself comfort, all because she felt like what? That God wasn't gonna care for her or serve for her good any longer. So she hoped that by simply buying and using a slave girl, that that would soothe her distress. So she replaces God as the caring one with a servant, the creation, thinking that the creation will serve what the creator is not in her life, she feels. Well, to make matters worse, they're still struggling. Both Abram and Sarai used and abused Hagar. And they forced her to marry Abram and then have a child by him, only then to get pregnant. And then again, be mistreated and run off by Sarai in a jealous fit of rage and anger. And church, here's what we're seeing again and again in their story. It's what you see in your story again and again. I've said it for the past three weeks, guys, and we say it again today. When you and I forget the promises of God, you forego the peace of God in your life. I've said that a thousand times the past three weeks. And some of you are like nodding because you're like, yeah, bro, I get it. We see that over and over again with their story. But what I'm hoping that we can see and you can see, bless you, is that if you and I can rely on the promises of God, then you relish in the peace of God. And that is really a huge theme that we're gonna see the past few weeks and the future weeks with their story. Now, guys, it's at this point in the narrative, again, that Sarah and Abram are nearing 100, but they're also nearing hopelessness. They've tried every strategy, sinful strategy, prayer strategy, fasting strategy. They've tried every strategy to rush God's hand rather than to trust his plan over the timing over this promised child. 
And now they're hopeless, they're hurting, they've harmed themselves, they've harmed others as a result. But if you know God, that's exactly where he loves to show up, most powerfully and most graciously. And so what does God do in this narrative? God appears to Abram to remind him, to redeem him, and to renew him in his faith and trust in God and his promises. So here we go. God shows up, Abram's super old, and here we go. And God said to Abram in this moment, he says, I am God Almighty. That word God Almighty just means El Shaddai. It means it's God is the mighty one. And what God is trying to get across to him is, hey, I am mighty to fulfill every promise that seems impossible. So God comes and declares himself, I am El Shaddai. I'm mighty. Whatever I say, I can fulfill. Would you trust me, Abram? Then God says to him, walk before me, Abram, and be blameless, that I may make a covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face. Guys, what I love about this story is that God comes to Abram in the worst moment of his story. He has done the unthinkable in his marriage. He has done the worst thing to Hagar, forced her to marry him, forced her to have a child with him and has been wandering away from God for 13 years. And God in his love pursues and finds Abram in the worst part of his life. Friend, no matter where you feel like you're today, no matter what you've done this past week, this past month, no matter if this is the first time you've been in church in a long time, there is nowhere you can outrun God's love for you. And that's what we see in Abram's story. No matter where he's run, no matter what he's done, he cannot outrun God's covenant love for him. And what's so beautiful here, we're gonna see a couple things in these first verses. The first thing we see is that God comes and he speaks with Abram. God speaks. It says that God just not only appeared to him, but God spoke to him. Abram's discouraged, remember? He's depressed. He's super distant from God due to his sin with Hagar. And God in his love and grace comes to speak with Abram. And church, what you need when you go through similar situations, when you're discouraged, depressed, when you're distant from God, you don't need just worldly comfort. You need comfort from God's word. That's what you need, Christian. And that's exactly what God comes to bring. He doesn't bring another person. He doesn't bring the promised son yet. He doesn't bring a meal. He doesn't bring Netflix. He doesn't bring a a trip or a vacation to comfort Abram. What he brings is his word, not something from the world. Christian, when you're in that spot, what do you need? You need to be reminded of who God is and what he's promised you in the Bible. You and I as Christians need to be people of the book. We read it, we heed it, and we feed it to others. I know that's cheesy. I said it last week, but there you go again. I was a student pastor for seven years, so there you go. We must be people of the word, and that's what we see God doing, bringing the word. You need to hear, church, that God is with you, that he is for you, that he is never against you, even when your deeds are against him. Church, you need to be reminded from his word that he works out all things for your good, that he has a plan and a purpose for every pain point that you face. There's a reason in it, and the reason is to be conformed and to be comforted by the love of Christ. And church, God is speaking today in the same way that he spoke to Abram. It's through his word. The question, church, is not, does God still speak? The question is, are you listening? 
God speaks through three primary ways, his word, his spirit, and his people. And so church, let me ask you, are you listening to God's truth through his word? How often are you and I reading and heeding the words that God has given to us in the Bible? He's given us 66 books that have revealed his will and his ways. And so if you and I are looking for truth, we find it in God's word. Church, let me ask you, are you listening for God's direction through his spirit? How often are you praying about that decision of who to date? Maybe who to marry? Maybe what job to take? What city to move to? How to navigate your marriage complexity or a challenge with a child? Are you praying that God would lead you by his spirit? He gives direction. And also, are you listening to God's care through his people? One of the best ways that God cares for others is through his people. He fills us with the spirit and then he deploys us to care for one another. Guys, one of the biggest things we see in a church like ours, a new church that's been planted three years ago, is that we're all still getting to know each other. Some of us have been in this plant from the very beginning when we started, or some of you might be your first week. And what's hard is to trust people. But what we see is that when you know a person really well and you know the Bible really well, then you can take God's word and give it to God's people in a loving way through his spirit. And what we need to do as Christians is to listen to each other and to know how to navigate complex situations with God's word. And so are you listening to other people in your community group when they give you a word of encouragement or they pray for you or they counsel you to not or to do something? Are you listening to them? Because maybe God is speaking to you through them. Church, are you listening? God is speaking. Are you listening? Through his word, through his spirit, through his people. Not only do we see that God comes to speak with Abram, but we see that God comes to call out Abram in love. I just want to show you this real quick about how God does this. Because some of us have had really, really bad friends or family members or bosses that like call you out in really harsh and angry and dogmatic ways. And so like, you're never really willing to be honest about your life because you feel like you're going to be judged or yelled at. I want you to see how God calls out Abram in love. Let me show you how, what God did. God first brings recognition of God's own holiness. Do you see what God first said to Abram? He said, Abram, I am God Almighty. In order to bring Abram's heart back from 13 years of wandering away from him, God first says, hey, look at me, Abram. Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off your circumstance. And I want you to see that I am mighty over everything in your life. Every worry, every fear, every doubt you have about this future promise, even the sin you committed and how you're gonna navigate your family situation, I am mighty over all of that. Christian, the first thing you need to see in any sort of hardship or complexity or sin issue is that God brings recognition of his holiness so that you can see him clearly. Second, God brings a realization of Abram's sin. Notice how God says, after I am almighty, he says, Abram, walk before me, be blameless. Do you know what God's doing? He's calling him out. He's saying, Abram, you have wandered away from me for 13 years. Do you remember what happened with Hagar, Abram? You must walk with me and not with your fear, not with what your desires are, not your sexual urges. You must walk with me, not what you want, because I know what's best for you. That's what God's doing. Walk before me and be blameless. He's saying, Abram, do you recognize your sin? So what does God do every time with us, Christian? He helps you to recognize his holiness. He calls you to realize your own sin. And then God brings redemption provided by himself. He brings redemption. He says, Abram, I'm going to fix it. I will make, 
I will make my covenant between me and you. I'm the one that's gonna make it right. And that's what God does for us through Jesus, Christian. If you are a Christian, you've trusted in Christ, it's because you saw how holy and righteous God is and how far we have fallen from that. But in God's grace, he's provided redemption through Jesus to forgive that sin and give us his record of righteousness by faith alone is what Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight, that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ. And that's what we see happen. God provides redemption by himself. I will make a covenant. Not you do better, Abram, but I will fix this. And then last, what do we see? God brings repentance to Abram's heart. Do you notice how it ends, this little section? God shows up to Abram, tells him these things. And then what did Abram do? At the words of God, Abram fell on his face. He didn't trip. Shoelaces weren't untied. He fell on his face, which is an outward sign of an inward reality that God was moving his heart for worship and submission to him again and repentance before God. Church, maybe God brought you here today to do the same thing for you, to call you out of the darkness of where maybe you've been wandering and calling you into his light. Maybe that's what God's doing is showing you his holiness, but rather than giving you wrath, he's giving you love because he gave the wrath to Jesus. So all he has is love to pour out on you. Maybe God's causing you to recognize an area of sin in your life or heart. And today he's calling you away from that and to him. That's what's beautiful is that God doesn't just call us out though, church. God calls us in. He doesn't just call you out, but he calls you in. And that's what he does next with Abram. God calls him in with truth. Notice again that verse 1b says, he says, Abram, walk before me and be blameless. Christian, he calls out to you the same thing, that you would turn from areas of sin and you would turn to your savior in faith and you'd follow him. That phrase, walk before me, means to walk in God's ways according to God's will that's found in God's word. That's all that means. To walk with God means to walk in God's ways according to his will found in God's word. God has made it very easy for us to understand how to live a life of comfort and hope in him. And when we turn to creation, rather than the creator, to find joy, security, happiness, pleasure, we harm ourselves. We must turn to the creator only and walk with him in his will and his ways because it's in that that we find what our hearts long for most, which is him. Does that make sense? So God is not some just cosmic joy killer trying to give you a bunch of rules and limits to live with inside. He's trying to give you the boundaries of where joy and hope and love and freedom are found. Does this make sense? And so he's saying, walk with me. No longer your doubt or your fear. So Christian, let me ask you, where are you struggling to walk with God this week, today? Where are you struggling to walk before God? Where are you struggling to trust God's timing? Maybe it's a marriage, maybe it's a work issue, maybe it's a marriage. Where are you struggling with God's timing and you're building your own strategies to deal with it? Or maybe this morning you're struggling with trusting God's goodness. You know that he's in control, that he's sovereignly ruling and reigning over all things, but maybe you struggle if he's gonna be good to you. Where are you struggling to walk before God? Christian, maybe where are you struggling to walk blameless before God? Is there an area of your life that you're resisting to follow God's will found in his word? And so this morning, do you hear that God is calling you out through this text 
No matter where you've wandered, he's calling you out, but he's calling you into himself, into a life that is good for you, into hope that's for you, into a relationship with Jesus that is daily a walk. And that's why I love what God used that language, walk, because it's a continual relationship. It's not just one time you place your faith in Jesus. It's all the time. It's in every trial, every struggle, every fear. You keep walking with him as he goes before you. So church, that is what the covenant call is that God visits with Abram. But now we see that there's a covenant promise. There's a covenant promise. Verse three says that God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now guys, I love this about God. God just came to Abram in order to forgive him and free him and then now fuel him to live a renewed life. And he says, Abram, my covenant is with you. Like God doesn't skip a beat. Like he doesn't say, Abram, you gotta be faithful and then I'm gonna start being faithful to you. Like he's saying, Abram, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter where you go, you can't outrun my faithfulness to you. I'm gonna establish my covenant with you. And how many times have we seen that if you've been in our church? We're like in the 37,000 week of God saying, my covenant is with you. He needs to be reminded of that. So do you, Christian. You need to be reminded of God's covenant love for you. Because one Christian who wrote a beautiful uh, children's Bible, it's one that we've read numerous times in our home, Sally Lloyd-Jones, she writes this, God's covenant love for you is this, Christian. It's his never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love for you. And I love that. When I talk to my kids about what does love mean, this is the definition we come back. It's Kiana, I'll never stop loving you. I'll never give up on you. My love is unbreaking. I'll always and forever love you because you're mine. We're in relationship together. I've given you my name and who I am to you. Guys, the moment you think you're too sinful for God to love is the very moment that he reminds you of how much he loves you through Jesus. And that's what we see God doing with Abram. Behold, my covenant is with you. Not will be with you when you get better, but it's with you. This is the type of love that God has for you, Christian. No matter where you struggle, his love is there to bring you back to walking with him. So that's what we see God actually do next with Abram. God gives Abram two things to remind him of that type of covenant love. And he gives him two things. God gives him a new name, as a reminder of this covenant love, but then he also gives him a new mark, a new name and a new mark to remind him because Abram struggles like we do of this type of love. Verse five. So here's the first thing. No longer, he says, shall your name be Abram. And Abram just means exalted father. He says, no longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, which means father of multitudes. And then he says this, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now that's interesting language because notice the certainty in God's voice here. He uses the past tense here. I have made you as to describe the promise as something that's like fixed and done and guaranteed like it happened in the past that Abram would indeed be the father of a multitude of nations. And God is reinstituting and reminding him again. I'm giving you a new name as a reminder of this type of love. 
Guys, uh, a few years ago, uh, we've adopted two little ones in our family. A lot of you know them, and some of you gasp because you're like, oh no, Kiana broke her leg. That's one of my daughters. I've got two daughters. Uh, Kiana is six, and Chisera is four. And when we adopted them, we took on their story, and they took on our story. And so every ounce of hurt and pain and challenge that was a part of their story became part of our story. And what we did when we adopted them is that we gave them everything that we are, our love, our provision, our resources, our protection, our love. And to symbolize that, what did we do? We gave them our name. You are now Kiana Peters. You are now Shisera Peters. You are identified by a new type of love, a new type of protection and provision. And that's what God is doing with Abram. He's giving him a new identity. And so we're having some complex conversations with our little ones about, hey, daddy, why do you and I not have the skin color when other kids at school, their parents have the same skin color? And we're navigating lots of things together. And we're talking a lot about this idea of name and identity. And what I'm hoping my daughter can see is that her identity really isn't even wrapped up in me, but it's who God has made her to be and then hopefully remade one day in Christ. And we're seeing this beautiful new identity language in what he's doing with Abram. In fact, God continues by giving Abram three more promises that are attached to his name. Just like we told Kiana, I'll love you and I'll protect you, provide for you. There's a promise attached with the name. And so God says, hey, one day the kings will come through you, Abram, and that I will be an everlasting God to you and your offspring after you is the second promise. The last one is that God says that I'll give you all this promised land that you see in Canaan, I'm gonna give to all of your offspring. Now guys, if in these days, when you changed your name, it was a really, really big deal because your name spoke towards your identity, especially in Old Testament times. The name of people in Hebrew often communicated so much about who they were and what they were all about. So in changing Abram's name, to Abraham was a super big deal. It was the marker of a new identity for him. One where God's promises determined his identity, not his present or past circumstances here. And so church, what we're seeing for our own life is that God's covenant love redefines your identity. Church, you are not defined by what you struggle with. You are not defined by what someone or something happened to you. You're not identified by a sin struggle that you have. You're identified by God's covenant love for you. In today's culture, we often base our identity on how other people view us. We want to be seen as successful or attractive or organized, wealthy or creative or smart, right? And so we wrap ourselves in name brands, name schools, name trips, trying to impress others or to boost our thought of identity. But rather than basing our identity on how others view us, we must base our identity on how God views us. And guys, that's what we see happening in this passage with Abram, but also it happens in the passage that Nick mentioned earlier in our time of worship. First Peter 2, 9, I'll have it on the screen for you. But this is the identity that you are wrapped up in now, Christian. It says that you are a chosen race. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a people for his own possession. The fact that God says chosen race is not about some sort of supremacy of one ethnicity, 
It means that you're a chosen people. If you're a Christian of every tribe and nation and tongue, we've been gathered together to be a chosen people. Christian, this means that you are loved. You are selected. You're predetermined. You are wanted by God and his family. Just like we pursued our children for adoption, when they didn't know our names or who we were, we pursued them. God pursued you before you were even born, Christian. And you're wrapped up in that type of identity. So guess what that frees you to do? That means that you don't have to have a boyfriend or a spouse to determine if you're wanted or you belong or you're loved. When you wrap yourself in realizing I'm a chosen person by God, I belong with him, I'm wanted by him, I'm pursued by him, I'm loved by him. Before I was even born, I was desired by God to be in a relationship with him through faith in Jesus. When you wrap yourself and identify in that, then you're set free in a lot of other areas. You're a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Royal meaning that you're significant and valuable and important because you're a child of the who? The king. And so you are significant and valuable. You know what this means? This means that you don't have to have a PhD or other letters next to your name to make you feel significant. Education's great. I went to school, got a master's. Praise God, that's great. But that doesn't make me significant. Your position or title at work doesn't dictate your value. You could be the lowest person at your job on the totem pole or the highest, but you're a royal priesthood. Your significant comes because of your connection to God. I love this one too. If you struggle with sins and guilt and shame over what you've done in the past or what you're struggling with, God looks at you and doesn't see your sin. He calls you a holy nation. A holy people means you are set apart. That God has taken your sin and he's set it apart from you and he's put it on Jesus on the cross. And Jesus has set apart his righteousness and he's put it on you. Your sin removed, righteousness imputed, and God sees you as holy because of what you've done? No, simply because what God has done for you on the cross to be received by faith alone. So you're not determined by what sin struggle you have, who you've been with, what you've done. You're forgiven, you're holy. Then last we see that you're a people for his own possession means God wants you and he keeps you. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't neglect you. He doesn't leave you. This is so good for some of you to hear that when you feel hurt or abandoned by a spouse or a friend, you've been neglected, been mistreated. Someone has left you in your life that God is saying, you are my possession. I'll keep you. I'll never abandon you no matter where you run. And some of you, You need to hold that today. Some of you need to store that away because one day you might do the worst thing that you ever thought like Abram. And you need to be reminded of this truth. I'm God's possession. He keeps me. He loves me. He secures me. I'm his. A pastor once said, renewal happens when people come to the end of themselves. And that's what we see with Abram. And Christian, that's what we must see with ourselves. God brings him to the end of himself in order to give him a new life and a new identity. Later in the chapter, we even see God do this with also with Sarai. It's not lost on God that Sarai's also really struggled with her identity. She's been identifying herself as the one who's not a mother. And guess what God does? He renames her and he calls her, don't worry about being one who's not a mother. I'm gonna call you a daughter of the king. And he names her princess. He names her Sarah. Do you see how he flips her identity? 
on the motherless one. He's like, no, 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 no. You, you are a daughter. Identify not as what you don't have, but what you do have in me. You're a daughter of the king. And he renames her Sarah. Guys, do you see what the identity of God changes your behavior, changes your beliefs? It changes everything when you realize who you really are in God. Church, this is the reason that you know that you're complete and accepted and good and right and valuable. It's because Jesus proved your worth. His death made your life meaningful and valuable and significant. That's why some of you, it's okay that you're a stay-at-home mom. You're not working. When Boston pressure is like, mom, you gotta work to be significant, valuable. You can stand and say, this is what determines my value in my work. Some of you don't have to climb the ladder. You don't have to get the next promotion because you sit there and say, God, I'm valuable regardless of how others view me. As 2 Corinthians 5, 17 would say, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. We see God gave Abram a new name to remind him of this covenant love. Christian, he's given you this name as well. 1 Peter 2, 9, 10, that's your new name. Not only do we see him give a new name though, this is the last part, it's a little weird, a little awkward, but bear with me. God gives him a new mark, a new mark to remind him of God's covenant. Now, if you woke up today and you're like, man, I just really hope I hear a sermon on circumcision, you're in the right place because that's what we're about to talk about. So this might be new or unique for you and it might be a little uncomfortable for us to think about, but there is such good truths that point us to Jesus here. So let me show you what these beautiful truths are about this covenant sign. In marriage, we know that the sign of a marriage is often a ring. And so I don't put this on to remind myself that I'm married, as I've shared before. I don't wake up like, oh, I'm married today. I gotta act like a married person. I put this on to remind myself of the type of love that I've committed to my wife. So I wish in some sense, Abram probably does, that God just said, here, wear this ring. There's another mark though, that God gives Abram to wear. And here it is, verse nine. God said to Abram, as for you, meaning that God just shared all what he would do and all he has done. He says, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. There is a requirement in our relationship. You shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is the covenant. He's about to unpack it for which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Here it is. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Verse 12, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from a foreigner who is not your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people because he has broken my covenant. Okay, let's be crystal clear about one thing here, okay? There's a lot going on. But one thing we know is that God's commanding a 99-year-old man to get circumcised. And I don't know the last time you talked to someone in their 90s, but they're not really open to new ideas. And now God is telling Abram, he needs to get this painful procedure done without any modern pain medication. Now, for some of you, you have great faith in God 
and you're like, that makes sense. I hope Abram does it. You never question this. But for me, I just got to wonder, like, why circumcision? Like, why couldn't he pick maybe a different part of the body? Why couldn't he go with Noah's sign, which was a rainbow? That might have been a little bit nice. Why not a ring? Why, like, circumcision to be the sign of this covenant? This procedure seems to be bloody and really personal and painful, if we're honest. But guys, that's exactly the very point. It's meant to reveal the penalty of sin. Romans 3 teaches us that the wages or the penalty of sin is death. We've fallen short of God's standard. Romans 3, Romans 6, the penalty or the wages of sin is death. It's, it's bloody. And the process of cutting away the sin in your life is a difficult and a painful procedure. If you're a Christian, you know that cutting off sin in your life is hard. So listen, circumcision is meant to represent a cutting away of the old life and to represent the penalty that sin requires. This new mark for Abram, now Abraham, would be a reminder of the pain and the penalty that his sin has caused. But that through his line one day would also be a reminder that God would deal with that pain and that penalty on the cross because through his line would be the descendant, Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, our God-man become flesh. Now, guys, it's important to know here just for a quick moment that in some sense, God is using this mark as an act of justice and an act of grace in Abraham's life. It's an act of justice in that God brought a physical consequence to the very part of Abram's body that led him into sin with Hagar. God is bringing justice into Abram's life for what he did. But God's also using this mark as grace. And that's a physical mark that points us to Christ on the cross where the ultimate penalty of sin would be paid, where Jesus would be the one cut off from his father so that Abraham and you and I could be reunited to the father. Do you guys see the imagery? You see the point? of why God gave this sign? Through circumcision, we also see that God is also saying to Abraham, Abraham, you must devote all of yourself to me, especially Abraham, the areas that is causing you and your family the most issues. I won't spend a lot of time here, but I want you to notice, where does this chapter fall in scripture? It falls between adultery in chapter 16 and sodomy in chapter 18. And it's in this moment that God is saying, this is the area in your family that is getting you in the most trouble. And so God is bringing justice and grace and a reminder that all of us, all of you, Abram, all of us Christian has got to be devoted to God. He's reminding Abram that my ways must rule and reign over your ways, Abram, because my ways are better for you. He's reminding Abram that not your ways can satisfy you. You should not follow your desires, your sexuality, your pleasure, but how God designed it. That's what he's doing with Abraham. And so he's giving him a reminder in the area that is getting his family into trouble on that very part of his body. He's reminding you, all of you is me. Your desires, your sexuality, your gender, everything must come under the rule and reign of Christ. That's not a popular thing to say in Boston. It's not a popular thing to say anywhere. But Christian, all of us, 
down to the most personal, intimate, private parts of our body and our soul is to be given to God, our designer, who knows us, who has made us, who has a design for our flourishing. And when we go the route that God desires for us, there is flourishing, there is peace, there is hope that's in that spot. And so God gives circumcision as a reminder here, sin only brings pain, death, and harm to you and others, but also it brings a reminder of how gracious God is that through Abram would come Christ, who would ultimately be cut off so that we could be grafted in to the relationship with the Father. Now, good news for you, Christian. Uh, Most of us in this room are Gentiles. And so we are not underneath this covenant that we saw in the Old Testament. Romans 2, Galatians 5 tells you males that you don't need to be circumcised in order to have a covenant relationship with God. And all God's people said, amen, right? So I'm not getting into medical practice of what's healthy, what's not healthy, and we're not gonna have a big conversation in community groups about circumcision. All to say to you, but that Romans 2 and Romans 5 tells us something more though about what's going on here. It shows us that we do need a circumcision, but it's of the heart. That's what God's really getting to, that we needed our heart of sin to be cut off and a new heart of righteousness to be put in its place. And that's what Jesus has come to do for all of us who have placed our faith in him. Romans 2 tells us that circumcision is really a matter of the heart done by the spirit. Colossians 2 tells us that in him also, through relationship with Christ, we have been circumcised, but not a circumcision made with hands by putting off the body with flesh, but a circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism in which we are now raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. So Paul is telling us here in Romans and in Colossians that the circumcision of Christ is the fact that he bore the curse of the covenant on our behalf. Remember how it said in the covenant, if no one is circumcised, may they be cut off from the people. And God is saying, I'm taking that punishment. Your heart was not cut off from sin. And so Jesus was cut off on the cross so that you could be reunited with God. Jesus was cut off so that we would not have to be. When he was on the cross, Jesus experienced the penalty the penalty of us breaking the covenant. And what was that penalty? To be cut off, to be killed, to receive a bloody, personal, painful death because of our sin. And that's the consequence for our sin is God's justice on us. We sinned against God and we're supposed to be the ones cut off from him. But on the cross, Jesus was cut off from God the Father so that we could be forgiven and reunited in him. We even see this in Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. The story concludes with Abram's response to God's covenant love and promise. His response is is of heart change and obedience. Notice how he ends here, verse 19. God said, but no, Sarah, your wife will bear a son and she'll call his name Isaac. Isaac means laughter because Abram laughed when God said, you're gonna have a kid. He's like, bro, I don't know if you know how science works, but I'm 100 and my wife's 90. We can't have kids anymore. 
And so they laugh at God. Later on, you're gonna hear next week that Sarah laughs at God, but God always gets the last laugh, but he does it for joy. He's like, I'm gonna name your kid Isaac to remind you that I bring joy and I bring laughter. I bring happiness. It's found in a relationship with me. I'm gonna name him Isaac. He says, I will establish my covenant with Isaac as an everlasting covenant of his offspring after him. Verse 22, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Finally, God has given the finish line. After 23 years, they're saying one more year, the promised son is gonna come. And I wonder, sometimes I just wonder, is if God had to get Sarah and Abram's heart, maybe to this point. And so what God was doing was loosening the grip of an idol in their heart so he could actually give them what they needed most, which was him. We'll talk about that more in coming weeks here. But look at how Abram responds. When God had finished talking to him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son that he had through Hagar. At this time, he's 13 years old. And he took all those born in his house or brought with money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day. How about that family gathering, right? As God had said to him, just notice Abram's response. He obeyed immediately. And we're raising our children and we're trying to remind them to hold hands or, hey, don't touch the oven or like, hey, don't jump down a flight of stairs. All the crazy things you have to tell your kids. Don't stick a fork in the light socket. All the things we have to tell them. We're trying to teach our kids, hey, I want you to listen all the way, right away. Because that's what's good for you. My job is to not give you rules to keep you from joy, but rules to make sure you can have joy because you don't get hurt. And what Abram's doing is he's obeying all the way, right away. What are we seeing? Abram is Abraham and he's learning to trust God again. It's been 13 years of him distant from God. And God has given him a command and he immediately obeys all the way, right away. He's been redeemed in this story. He's been restored. He's been renamed. And now he's renewed in his trust and his relationship with God. Church, where does your walk need to be renewed with God like Abram's? What areas of sin need to be cut off in your life so that you may walk freely and fully with God? Where do you need to obey God today all the way right away where you have not been lately? Church, for some of you, your next step actually might need to be baptism. Paul teaches us in Colossians 2 that the new sign of God's covenant isn't circumcision, praise God, but it's baptism. For some of you, you need to take your next steps towards baptism as a sign and symbol of your faith in Jesus. So church, where is God calling you out today? And where do you hear Jesus calling you into a deeper walk with him to be forgiven and freed and fueled to live a life for his glory and our good? Let's pray together. <laughs>